Welcome to another episode of Between Lewis and Lovecraft. Thank you so much for checking us out. This show is all about learning more about the authors that have inspired us and diving into the stories that they not only created, but lived as well. So join myself, Tyler Clausen, and my co-host, Hannah Ray Lambert, as we explore the worlds that live just out of reach. Tyler, everyone knows you have to blow on it first. (laughs) (laughs) That is not what you said earlier. You cleaned it up so much. I don't think I said anything worse You said, and I quote, I just know how to blow on it the right way. (laughs) That is also accurate. And by it, we're talking about tea, you filthy animal. Yeah, you disgusting, <laughs> evil people. What did you think she was talking about? Because we're here at the Book Nook, and yeah. Megan so kindly made me some tea to drink. And she last did. time she did that for Tyler, he burned his mouth and complained. I did burn it. I complained an entire so episode. much. I was a big baby. I was also sick. So I don't know if y'all can tell, I'm not sick anymore. Yeah. You so, had the man cold, which I is did like a almost a deadly disease. Yeah, it's pretty bad. I had it for like a month, too. He did. I'm, I'm minimizing his pain. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for acknowledging that you're doing that to me. Um, welcome to Between Lewis and Lovecraft, as you heard in the new intro. Not in new. It's been in the last couple episodes. It, it's the first time I heard it sitting here, though. Yeah, that's so true. That was nice. Um, Between Lewis and Lovecraft, we talk about authors and their books and their stories. Not just that they wrote, but they lived as well. And as Hannah mentioned, we are hanging out back again at the Book Nook in Canby, Oregon. It's nice to be back. Yeah, it is. We're surrounded by all these beautiful books. I keep looking at... Uh, next episodes material. Oh, that's why you brought that up. I, yeah. It's right behind me. We're it sitting is. across from each other. You guys really needed that like layout yeah. <laughs> description. So right now there are we're sitting on yellow chairs. There's books behind me and Hannah and we're looking at each other. We, we, we don't need to go into <laughs> this. Um, so yeah, we're sitting here. We're not in the studio so it's nice to be back and today I am just so excited about what we're talking about. Tyler's so stoked. And I feel like I'm going to get all of the references wrong and I'm just going to trample all over nerd culture. So probably um, maybe maybe you should introduce this one because all I'm coming up with is in a galaxy far, far away, which no, is incorrect. come on. No. <laughs> no, today we are going to talk about uh, Douglas Adams. And I know in the Neil Gaiman episode, I just straight destroyed his name. Because I kept oh, saying yeah, Adam, Adam Douglas. Adam Douglas. <laughs> I have done enough research to confidently know that his name is Douglas Adams now. Douglas Adams. On top of the fact that even during the recording time of Neil Gaiman, I would have said that Douglas Adams is one of my favorite authors. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that my appreciation for him stayed pretty much exactly the same. During it's not like one of those things where like... Neil Gaiman, I I was like, oh my god, this guy's a genius. He's amazing. Douglas Adams, I already had high expectations for, and he lived up to those exact expectations. Cool. And then there's some stuff that I'm like, meh, you know. So. So for those who maybe aren't super fans out there, Douglas Adams is well known enough that I had heard of him because sure. of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And only that. And right? only that. Yeah. I mean, I think when I was researching him, like some of the other series, like Dirk. Dirk Gently. Dirk Gently. Like, I recognize that name. 
Yeah. Um, I think I, I recognized the deeper meaning of lift or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like I'd heard that somewhere. Yeah. In the realm of cult of the culture before. Yeah, he has a way of permeating the culture yeah. that I think is really interesting. Yeah. Um did you know do you, do you or did you know much about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Absolutely nothing. Yeah. I had never read it, never watched it. I still haven't watched it. What? But, oh, that's too bad. Maybe someday. It's got Zoe Deschanel. It's got Deschanel. Zoe Deschanel. Yeah, I, I, I looked it up. I'm like, when did this freaking movie finally get made? both went for that. Well, it was a safe bet. I'm it's a girl. also got Girls Sam Rockwell. I should have said Sam Rockwell. He's hilarious. I will determine that at a later date. You don't know who Sam Rockwell is? No. You ever see Galaxy Quest? No. Oh, my goodness. He's been Tyler s- actually looks crestfallen. Galaxy Quest is legitimately one of my favorite movies of all time. I like it's so good but that's last episode's material we're moving on we are moving on um so yes uh before Hannah goes all stats and (laughs) stuff like that dates and um I would I just wanted to open up with just talking about like um I oh I'm getting a call from my little brother here so unprofessional I know I'm so sorry (laughs) I put that on silence Cameron I'm sorry he just hung up on you Cameron don't ever call me while i'm podcasting again (laughs) um i wrote i wrote a book uh a few years back uh called rebecca moon and the boy in the bottle not gonna advertise it any more than that but um i i wrote it i had fun with it just put it out there and i had read um hitchhikers once before that and then um and then i wrote it put it out it's on wattpad one of the coolest things that happened was somebody wrote to me and said, Hey, your style, your voice is really, really cool. It reminds me a lot of Douglas Adams. Um, so you're, you know, keep it up. Right. And at, at that time, even, you know, this was a few years back. I was like, I know, I know, I know that name, I think. And then I looked it up. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And right then I was even like, wow, that's, that's really cool. Thank you so much. You know, like it was kind of a half-hearted thank you because I didn't really understand it. I was just kind of like, thanks for thinking I sound like someone. But that's an easy comment to just shout at someone like, yeah. oh, you sound like this person. Like, okay. And then I went and bought the the whole collection um, and <laughs> some water and cookies just arrived. And and I read it. I reread Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and then I followed it up. I, I continued to read on to um, the restaurant at the end of the universe. Um, and as I was reading those two books, that compliment sunk in more and more and more because I realized that my, for that book at least, the voice very much was a Douglas Adams voice, like an American version of Douglas Adams. And so I was like... Uh, the more I read his work, the more excited I got about that somebody would say that to me. Yeah, that's a mega compliment. Yeah, it is. He has he is very voicey, and I think that you can attest. One hundred percent. I mean, having only read Hitchhikers, yeah, this is hard to say broadly, but I feel like I could pick up anything he'd written, and without looking at the cover, be like, "Yep, Douglas Adams." Yes, absolutely. And I and I think you can. You've read some of my work enough to know that. I'm also very voicey when I want to be. Very voicey. I feel like your work that I've read, I wouldn't compare it to him only because it's not like it actually has like a 
a serious like plot undertone where his stuff oh, is like more the, like straight up comedy stuff that I, yeah that yeah but like the the craigslist ad yeah that that's I wrote, very douglas adams um, yeah so that's that i think is while i you know c.s lewis is definitely up there as my favorite and and lovecraft is up there as my favorite just in in common themes of what they write about i think as far as voice goes i think that douglas adams is my favorite voice as an author so how did douglas adams get that voice let's <laughs> talk about that hannah so of course we always start at the beginning douglas adams was born march 11th 1952 in cambridge england um but his family soon moved to the east end of london like within a few months of him being born his parents got divorced when he was about five so a very impressionable age there um cookies (laughs) someone just handed me a cookie which is the best thing that has happened all day (laughs) (laughs) She's straight up eating a cookie in the middle of her exposition. There was on a Douglas long Adams. interruption. Like I was not being heard. No, it's all right. Someone brings cookies into the room. That's kind of becomes the priority. It does. Anyway, so his parents get divorced, which is very sad. Unlike the cookie I was just eating. Um, so Douglas, his mother, and his sister Susan moved in with his grandparents, who ran an animal shelter. Like it was actually part of like the house that they were living yeah, in, basically. Yeah. Um, so he was surrounded by all these animals and I guess he didn't even like animals until he was an older adult. Really? Yeah. Like I didn't the, realize that he didn't like <laughs> the animals. The experience rubbed him the wrong way. Like he, he did not like cats and dogs after that. Interesting. Uh, he got over it though. Um, so school wise. Yeah, he got over that hard. Hardcore. <laughs> school wise, he attended Brentwood School, which is a selective prep school. So unlike some of our other authors, he was actually a, a halfway decent student. Um, he was also freakishly tall. Hmm. He hit six feet by age 12 and maxed out at six foot five. Jeez. So that and his creative writing abilities was what made him well known around his school. So it, what was the school called? Brentwood? Brentwood. So Brentwood had a teacher who was notorious for literally never giving out a perfect score. I mean, within the entire institute's history, were you about? Were you going to touch on this? I don't well, want to take it. From no, you. I I did read it though. So yeah. yeah. Um, never did he give out a perfect score except for one paper that Douglas Adams wrote, and it was so well written that he was forced to give him a ten out of ten on it, and it never happened again in all of history. In well, in all of his teaching career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In all of history, in all of his history. <laughs> that teacher never gave someone a 10 out of 10. That's that's pretty high compliments. I mean, that's a big deal. A that's, a, that's a big confidence booster. Teachers aren't like that anymore, though. I agree. They're, they're you know, like bogged down by the curriculum. And parents being like, why didn't my kid get 100%? <laughs> and no child left behind act. Yes. <laughs> Amy got a 20 out of 20. I'm really glad for you, Amy. It wasn't. You're like Douglas Adams, basically. It didn't have anything to do with audio production, which is why she's here. But, you know, (laughs) we're glad that she got a 20 out of 20. No, but that is is a big thing, though. Especially to me, at least. Because as a writer, I've, I've written books, but I still have a hard time knowing whether I'm a good writer or not. Um, and so it, like, I have a really big confidence problem where I'm like, I can write, but is it good? Like, and I can come up with stories, but can I write well? I just, I'm not, 
I'm so unsure about myself. He never had that problem, <laughs> especially after this teacher gives him a 10 out of 10. Like from that day forward, he knew he was a good writer. But did he? <laughs> did he? <laughs> I think you're about to tell me differently, so let's find out. I mean, we'll get to that later. Oh, but okay. is there anything else about early school years? That no, that was the wanted? big one that I really liked. Um, So he went to, to University of Cambridge and got his degree in English literature there. Um, and a lot of important things happened while he was at university um, in terms of like making connections and interacting with his contemporaries. One of them was um, that he tried to join the, the foot lights club his freshman year that's what they're called right footlights yes i was um, in the middle of taking a drink because i was eating a cookie yes footlights um and that's basically like a comedy theater troupe type group um but they didn't let him in which wasn't uncommon because he was a first a year freshman, student yeah. but i think he was still disappointed um because he got a 10 out of 10 right he, was, he can do anything he's a good writer <laughs> he could be the president of america if he wanted just come on over to the pond that's and take the position. He literally couldn't because he's not <laughs> born here, but that's beside the point. But um, years later, when Neil Gaiman was writing his one of his biographies, Douglas told him um, that he found the group, quote, aloof and rather pleased with themselves. Yeah. So he was like trying to brush it off like, eh, I didn't really want to be in there. So he jo- <laughs> joined the Cambridge University Light Entertainment Society instead. Um and they took their shows to prisons and hospitals and stuff. So Yeah, bio- where you go when nobody else, when nobody wants, else you wants you. So the biography I read by Nick Webb, who was um, one of the publishers of Douglas Adams, um, he, he compared it to having a literally captive audience. Ah, so, yeah. nice. But um, yeah, he's, he thinks he's can real you, funny. Can you say that joke with a British accent? No. Come on. <laughs> no British accents. Uh, well, they literally were captive audiences. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, and as a freshman, he also joined the Amateur Dramatic Club. So he was getting a lot of exposure um, and stuff like that and kind of honing his like stagecraft. Yeah. And that's a big thing. Like you think of him as an author, but he really wanted to be a performer. Mm-hmm. Like going into college, he had the dream to be a part of the Monty Python crew and they were all writers and performers. So his ultimate goal is to not just write stories or skits or whatever. He wanted to be a comedian. Um, so that's that kind of it, it's important because that sets him up for some of the stuff that he deals with later on. Right. So second year of college, he, he did get into Footlights then. Um, he still seemed to dins- distance himself from them, though, from what I was reading, because um, he had two other friends who were named Martin Smith and Will Adams. So their trio went by like Adam Smith Adams, mm-hmm. not related to the other Adams. <laughs> so <laughs> they started writing sketches for their own shows that they put on. They called them like re- reviews or something. I think that's the the British term for the shows they put on is oh, a review. Um, so they were still kind of doing their own thing off on the side, but he was in Footlights. Um, and then, I mean, was there anything else in college he, you wanted to touch on in those years? I mean, I, I don't exactly know where you're going, so, uh, we'll just, we'll keep moving along. Let's I truck along. I don't need to always talk, Hannah. Sometimes you're allowed well, to Well, I don't want to have to do a callback. There's gonna <laughs> We're be We're gonna callbacks. do callbacks. Yeah. This is me. So he graduated. Oh, when he was five? No, I'm joking. 
typical Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> when he graduated in 1974, he, he didn't do well right away. He had three bleak years. He wasn't making it as a sketch very writer. Very British. Very, very British. Bleak. Bleak. Not miserable, not terrible, bleak. Bleak. Bleak house. In the flat. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That was my... Never mind. Charles Dickens. So he, he wasn't making it as a sketch writer. He resorted to a series of boring office jobs to pay rent, apparently. Um, he submitted some work to a weekly radio program called Week Ending on BBC. Um, but the only Adam Smith Adam sketch that they accepted was a Marilyn Monroe bit that they had written in their last year at Cambridge. Um, there was a radio producer there, uh, Simon Brett, who said... Douglas and Weekending was one of the, quote, worst marriages between writer and subject because the latter was specifically based on news and Douglas's mind just didn't work like that. Yeah. So he's out there trying to write for a news show Yeah. at this point, which, I mean, anyone who's read any of his stuff can probably see why that wouldn't work. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. As the news person here. He understands enough to make fun of the news. Yeah. I don't think he cares enough about the news to really... Yeah, I think he could be good at satire on it, but yeah. I think based on his like obsessions with the universe and and kind of broader thinking, yeah. even satirizing news isn't going to be what he loves. Um, and around around this time, he started working with Monty Python's Graham Chapman. Did you know much about their rela- relationship? I know that they became really good friends and writing partners. Um, now I, I think I. I think this will be going back a bit because there are there's a few things that happened where he did have reviews or shows mm-hmm. whatever where they were really really um they're the reason why he would get the attention of guys like this. Yeah, I think Chapman saw one of his reviews and yeah. because they both went to Cambridge so right. they were kind of in that circle. And, and and that's why you knew of him. And it's a big deal because this is a guy from Monty Python. This is John Cleese is his hero as a as a writer and performer. Um, Chapman is was John Cleese's writing partner. You know, like so this is this is the guy who if if it's not your hero, he's what made your hero so popular. Like he's a part of that. Um so I I think that he was probably just starstruck when he had the opportunity to work with him and and it was because of a few really good sketches that he wrote that he got the attention. One of them being the Kamikaze sketch, I think, was was that one. Did you listen or hear or see any of his sketches at all? I didn't hear any of them. I just read about them. I might, I might be mixing up timelines on on where these came out um, because I know that some of these things were broadcast on BBC when he was doing stuff there. Um, but like, there's one sketch where he wrote. It was a whole sketch about people who were reporting the news about a sketch that's about to happen. And they're like, they're like, yeah, we're down on, you know, 14th Street where apparently there is a sketch that is about to happen. And they're like talking about all the things about the, they're like, the anchor's like, all right, is how, what's the weather like down there? They're like, well, it's not necessarily funny, but you know, it could, it could turn out to be a funny situation with the weather and all this stuff and you know i'm describing it it's really dumb it's like trying to describe a comedian's joke listening to it is is really really great but it's that sort of thinking that got him the attention of these 
comedians and, and writers and performers because he wasn't just writing comedy where it's just like, you know, hit the numbers, A, B, C, you're, you're writing. He was writing stuff that was very meta, very like, not only am I writing a joke, but I'm writing about the process of writing the joke that's making the joke funny. That's pretty meta. Yeah. And so I, I think it's great. I think it's really cool. Um, so, so Chapman kind of got him into the Monty Python fold a little bit there. Yeah. He's one of only two people who weren't in the original Python gang to get a writing credit on the series. And um, he was actually on camera at least once in one of the the episodes or was he really installments yeah he played like a, a doctor or something oh that's right yeah, yeah he was on the the circus yeah show, Monty, whatever it was. Monty Python's something circus yeah circa, <laughs> flying circus flying circus thank you yep yeah um but it didn't turn into like a, a long-term thing for him um he ended up around this time also writing some Doctor Who episodes so he was getting making those connections getting his his name out there a little bit more um yeah. Are you about to skip over all of his work on Doctor Do Who? Do you want to talk about Doctor Who? Yeah, because you don't know anything about Doctor <laughs> Who. I don't Doctor know anything Who. about Doctor Who. We were, I've before seen like we were four recording, episodes. we were talking about your experience, and you didn't even know which Doctor you were watching. Nope. Matt Smith, I learned. Matt Smith. I was told. The greatest Doctor of all Doctor Who. Fight me. Fight me. Then how come he wasn't oh, the first Megan one you disagrees. thought of? No, not David Tennant. Everyone says David Tennant. Is David Tennant the one from Harry Potter? Yes. He's cool. David <laughs> David Tennant is the one from Harry Potter. Oh, and Good Omens. Oh, my God. And Good Omens. Absolutely. I gotta David go Tennant is a great actor, and, and he deserves all the credit that he should get. What he shouldn't get is the greatest doctor of all time. Oh, we're getting some other notes on other movies he was in. But that have no connection. No, absolutely <laughs> not. But good for knowing. Good job. Um, <laughs> yeah, he wrote... I mean, we're talking... Dreams are coming true for, for this guy, I think. I think he has enough talent that what he wanted out of life came easily to him. And I say that as a question because well, it, he was also like couch surfing with friends and yeah. living at home, and so, so that's it wasn't what I mean, like easy. But that's what I mean. He it did come easily because he didn't really have to like suffer for it. And I say that kind of as a dick because I I have to suffer for every like I have to do everything I can to get every single listener we can on our podcast. I have to post a million pictures on Instagram and I have to talk to a lot of people and it's like it's nobody can hear me but I'm playing my tiny violin. <laughs> yeah, stop that. <laughs> I'm not I'm not trying to get sympathy. I'm trying to point out like you and I are are working very hard to achieve something. Even whatever little success we get, we work really hard for it. And it seems like it he doesn't have to do that much work to get a lot of success. I mean, he's kind of got those good old boy networks of, yeah. of his Cambridge friends yeah. and stuff. So, like, he's never homeless because, you know, he's always got some mate who will let him crash at his flat. Uh, that's annoying. Yeah, for sure. But <laughs> so so he grew up watching at at his school, his um, Brentwood school on Saturdays are allowed to watch TV. And so he grew up watching Doctor Who and falling in love with the whole sci-fi thing. And he had written two different episodes and sent them in as a youngster. And the uh, the showrunner runner at the time was like, no, they're a little too silly for us. <laughs> but keep we, he, I'm going to keep my eye on you because you're, you're obviously a very good writer. 
And so the time comes when he gets called and he ends up writing uh, an episode for uh, Doctor Who called uh, the, the Pirates of Planets or Planet Pirates. I can't quite remember the, the title. Um, <clears throat> and it ended up being a really good episode. Um, and a lot of people say that if you were to read the script to the uh, the first two episodes that he wrote that were too silly, you'd notice a lot of similarities <laughs> in those two and the uh, episode that he got written. And even then, like he wrote it and and he got asked to to do all this work for them, and he and he had a hard time with deadlines. And this becomes a very common theme with him. So he's the. Qu- there's a quote attributed to him that's like, I love deadlines. I love the sound they make as they whoosh past. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and it's funny, too, because he he wrote the script and then they're like, wow, this needs a lot of work. So we're going to fix it. And then almost immediately gets handed the job as script supervisor for Doctor Who. So he goes from being one of the worst writers in Doctor Who history to being the guy who's in charge of making sure that all the writing is perfect (laughs) for Doctor Who. Like, isn't that insane? It's just handed to him. Just handed. I mean, it takes some tenacity to, like, send that in as a youngster. And, I mean, it's really important to get that kind of encouragement back. That was super cool that they actually wrote back and were like, hey, we're rejecting you, but... We're going to keep our... I don't know if they told him that. I just know that they kept their eye on him. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, there's there's a a Doctor Who episode that is specifically, you know, like... And that's the thing is, as time goes on, people really came to to know that he was really a a part of the Doctor Who uh, show, lore, all of that. And it was because he was super into it. He loved it. And so he got to play around in, the, in there and I think that's where we get to see his next big project come out of right because this is around the same time that you know the big one Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy yeah becomes a thing. he'd actually imagined it many years previously um between high school and university he, he took a gap year and traveled all around he um, hitchhiked he, all he of hitchhiked Europe. all of all around Europe um, and as the lore goes, because Douglas Adams is famous for telling like these grandiose stories and stuff, so nobody's 100% true, sure. sure if they're true. But as the story goes, he was lying drunk in a field in Austria, carrying a copy of the Hitchhiker's Guide to Europe. And it occurred to him that, hey, somebody ought to write a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. Whether that's true or not, he didn't actually write it until many years later after graduation after sometimes like four years later you gotta let those those ideas percolate percolate in there yeah i mean and i i can i can see that happening like i've had not necessarily you know waking up drunk in austria but like there are moments where an idea hits me really hard and then it just kind of like i even came to you about an idea for you to write and i've been thinking about it ever since have you yes nice i'm I'm, glad you have i'm gonna set up some interviews (laughs) yeah so it's like just these random like I see, I always see it as these like Venn diagrams of like book ideas always come from one idea mixed with another idea that nobody else has had before. Um, and and I think it's cool. I, I can totally see his frame of mind if that story's true. If that story story's true. And then it just pops into his head some uh, five or eight years later, probably at that point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it started actually as a radio series mm-hmm. on the BBC. 
1978. So he didn't write it completely alone. Um, He had this friend, John Lloyd, who was a friend from Cambridge. They lived together for a while, became kind of best friends. Yeah. Um, And he helped him write a couple episodes. Um, And and this was one of the, the times where you really see that he had a really hard time meeting deadlines. Oh, yeah. So he was supposed to write, like, what, six episodes for them? Mm-hmm. Uh, people were saying that, like, it would be literally, like, they would have all of the cast there. Everyone ready to go. Everyone ready to go in the studio. And he had not written the scripts yet. So they would have actors there ready to voice roles. And they would be like, oh, your part's not written yet. Do you want to voice somebody else? Yeah. And then they would just do that and go home. And at one point, somebody was saying how, like, he, he finally gave them the script they had to like run it over <laughs> to the the broadcast studio or whatever. Yeah. They got it there within like five minutes of deadline. Yeah. Got it on the air. And then they were talking to Douglas later and he hadn't even like listened to it on the sh- on air. Really? They were like, we went through all of this stress and you didn't even bother listening to your own episode air. Yeah. Oh man, I didn't know about that So one. I'm guessing he was a little bit of a pain to work with to say the least. Well that and he's probably working on something else. He's probably just like whatever. I, he's He's got his lazy creative mind. He does have his lazy creative mind. Um, so Are you going to bring up his habit? I just didn't, I just want to know. Are oh, you playing up? Because they didn't go into it that much in this book. No. He mentioned it once. Yeah. What did he like to do a lot he, of? And this is this is big. Like, I'm surprised they didn't talk about it. He would take baths all the time. Like, people said that there were times where he spent more time during the day in a bath than out of the oh, bath. Oh, he did make that comparison. Yeah. Um, and uh, he, like, they asked him, they're like, why? Why do you take so many baths? He's like, uh, it's just, you know, sometimes like writers need to get in the mood to write a story. And, you know, there's I can't remember exactly what he was saying, but it was something along the lines of like, you know, some writers, they get up, they do the dishes, they clean out their fridge. um, And then while they're cleaning out the fridge, that's where their ideas come from. He's like, and then they and then they don't and then they write. And they continue to write. And as they write, their fridge fills up with more food and more food and more food and more food. And then they'll run out of ideas. And then when they need to, they'll go clean out their fridge again. He's like, every writer is different. For me, it's about taking baths. I sit in a bath for as long as it takes until I get ideas. And then I'll go and write and write and write. And then I'll go back in the bath and and wait for an idea to show up. He's like, it just takes a while. (laughs) Like, and I totally get that. No, that is so bizarre to me because I hate baths. Well, and and the interview where I had heard that, they were talking about Dirk Gently where that's, there's actually a whole scene where he describes this guy in a bath. And they're like, they're like, so obviously you took this from like, from real life. He's like, oh yeah, I've spent enough time in a bathroom uh, that I can describe a bath pretty easily. (laughs) That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do we want to move on to the book version? Yeah. So, so he eventually gets it, you know, publishes a book, and that's where my biographer comes in. He mm. was working at Pan Publishing, and he basically kind of like was there when they sealed the deal, and then he moved on. So he gives that disclaimer. He's like, "Yeah, I didn't really like make him into the star that he is, but sure. they remained acquaintances, and like he has a lot of anecdotes from going to parties at Douglas's house or whatever." Oh, I bet. Um, but yeah, so. They, they well, do d- this. Did he throw a lot of parties? 
did later on. Oh, okay. He he still like doesn't have a ton of money right now. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. we'll get there. Okay. So the, he he gets the book deal, um, and there was actually a little bit of tension there with John Lloyd because Lloyd, of course, had helped him write a couple of of episodes for the BBC. Sure. So there was kind of that balancing act of Douglas Adams wanted to write this book by himself to kind of prove that like he could. Which, yeah. It's important to a writer to be like this thing totally mine yeah um but they had that tension i think they worked out something where like he didn't use any of of the material and john lloyd got some some money for Mm. like you know the inspiration that would come from those radio episodes sort of sure but still kind of like a tense situation which is to be expected like i think it would be hard to to partner with a friend like that on a a creative project like that Mm -hmm. i'm not going to co-write a book with you anytime soon tyler no we have completely different (laughs) yeah that wouldn't work anyway (laughs) but yeah (laughs) so he gets the book and um i mean the book is is just iconic i mean it is and like i mean so have you read it i have read most of it i i Um. read all of the beginning, all of the end, and then like had to skim some of the middle because I was like, I've got a deadline. <laughs> I, I had a Douglas Adams moment. Yeah, absolutely. But there were parts of it that like I, f- I feel like teachers used in high school English to demonstrate writing techniques. Yeah. Like because his voice, like you've said, is so strong. Yeah. And and then and it's just the ability to just run with certain ideas that I think is really interesting where like. There's the babble fish, mm-hmm. you know, and this whole idea that a babble fish feeds off of like the the energies that people produce or something and you stick it in your ear and it will translate any language into something that your brain can comprehend. And it's such an easy idea that it would be like for any other writer, it'd be a cheat. It'd be like, oh, that's too easy. Oh, no, I'm not going to do that. It's lazy writing. But he puts so much thought and construction into this one little thing that you can't call it a cheat. It's it's genius. Or his ability to both explain how big the universe is and not even explain it a little bit. It It's insane. And it's a common theme that keeps reoccurring. Like, he has it in the second book. Um, where somebody is exposed to how big the universe is and um, and in it like it's a form of torture because your your brain the brain of any living thing cannot comprehend how big it is but the whole purpose of this machine is to show the brain how big the universe is and the only reason why this person doesn't go insane is because they realize while they're in it that they are the center of the universe like while they're being shown this the whole the entirety of all of creation he has convinced himself i am the most important thing oh so he's not the center of the universe no. he just typical narcissism yeah absolutely all right and we're going to take a quick break for a commercial oh for the God. book nook This episode of Between Lewis and Lovecraft is brought to you by The Book Nook. The Book Nook, where you can be as loud about your love for books as I am. If you're looking for a place to sit down, relax, and not be aggressively shamed by the librarians at the library because you eat KFC too sloppily and your 
making the other readers uncomfortable with the noises you're making while you read Fifty Shades of Grey. Then come on down to the book nook and enjoy reading the way you want to. The book nook has the perfect selection of books for every kind of reader. Mystery, horror, fiction, nonfiction, science fiction, fantasy fiction, biographies, autobiographies, and all the classics like The Odyssey, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, and anything by Charles Dickens. The Book Nook. If you don't know how to swim, dive into a book. All right. So you have one of your favorite passages ready to go. Just to kind of sum up just the tone of his writing and the bizarreness of of the book for those who have not read it yeah let's hear it um in a scene where they're like getting the spaceship into some sort of crash or whatever yeah um he mentions like all the things crashing around and someone's uh arm gets bruised and then he ends the chapter with in order that some sense of mystery should still be preserved no revelation yet will be made concerning whose upper arm sustains the bruise this fact may safely be made the subject of suspense since it is of no significance whatsoever. <laughs> I'm just like, come on, man. So that's basically Douglas Adams writing in a nutshell. All these things that he's just like, you know what? I could do this, but it's not important. And I'm going to tell you that. And that's where the joke is. Also, uh, Martin the Depressed Robot is my favorite thing in oh, the world. Oh, you're, you're a fan of Martin, huh? Martin... And uh, the machine that they keep asking questions about the universe. So, yeah. Well, and the whole the whole joke of like, um, uh, you know, what's the answer to, to life? And they get the answer, 42. <laughs> and they're like, um, 42? What does that mean? You know, and like oh you asked for the answer not the question not the question then they go around asking different questions uh i'm trying to find a spot but i think i keep missing it um yeah i don't think i'll be able to find it in time uh basically it's a whole scene where their their spaceship is falling out of the sky and they have to use their very uh interesting and stupid machine within the within the spaceship to change the probability of them falling oh and in so doing they like summon or create a blue whale and a potted plant that is the scene i just read oh is it yeah okay Tyler listens really well, guys. Well, you didn't read the part about the about the sperm the, whale, about the whale or the the, or the potted plant. Petunias, yeah, where all the you know the blue whale, the whale just is falling is like, oh, what is that? Oh, it's big and round, <laughs> round. I'll call that the ground. You know, oh, it's coming at me so fast. Oh, that's so interesting. You know, and it's just having a great time existing before it dies, and then he's like, and the only thought that passed through the petunias was. Not again. <laughs> like, it's so fun. It's so, it's such a deviation from the story, but it adds so much to the universe, literally, of this of this book. So, I, like I, I, yeah, I love it. I love it so much. So, he didn't just write Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. He didn't. Did you, because I have not read 
anything else. Really? So what is the Dirk Gently series? So I read Dirk Gently's, uh, I read uh, The Long Tea Time of the Soul, okay. which I believe is the second book in the in the two or three Dirk Gently trilogy series. Mm-hmm. I think the, third, the third one, though, is not really a Dirk Gently as much as a, he was writing it as he died. And so they kind of threw a whole bunch of stuff together and it included what he had written of the third Dirk Gently. If I'm wrong on that, you can let us know. No, I know there was one that was published posthumously. Posthumously. Right. It's like the best thing ever. So I saw that it was described by Douglas Adams, the the first one, uh, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, as a kind of ghost horror detective time travel romantic comedy epic, mainly concerned with mud, music, and quantum mechanics. Is that accurate? Uh, yes. Yes. I, I'm a little, I'm a little, I don't know. I'm a little weirded out by it. Again, I read the second one, not the first one. I have not read the whole, the, yeah, the, I've very, not, first the very first one. So I don't know what that one's about. But the second one was um, on the New York bestsellers list. New York Times bestsellers list. I got it. <laughs> um, so it must have been good right right yeah nothing bad ever makes the new york times bestseller list um i didn't like it i didn't like it i did not like it really yeah and it wasn't the voice um the voice is fine it was the fact that um there was absolutely no reason for this story to exist what reason does the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy have to exist characters change Characters become different dynamic characters or static characters stay the same to show change within the world around them. So nobody changes in Dirk Gently. Almost nobody changes. And the main character, Dirk Gently himself, is 100% completely useless to the story. (laughs) I'm not joking. And he spends mm, only 40% of the time on Dirk Gently. The other 60% of the time is on other characters that I honestly don't care about. Now, I will say one of the reasons why I might not care about them as much is because I just got done reading American Gods and Norse Mythology <laughs> and this the long tea time of the soul is another Norse Mythology thing. And I'm like, dude, I'm kind of I'm kind of sick of this shit. So that could just be me. So this is kind of tangential, but since you mentioned two things by Neil Gaiman, I will say that I see a lot of similarities in the, in their tone, Yeah. but Neil Gaiman tends to use it in like dialogue and stuff, Sure. which I like better because one of the main problems I had with Hitchhikers was I didn't see the point. I think when stuff is entirely comic writing, it's hard for me to care about the characters because I'm like, they don't even care if they're about to die. Like, Um, but you have Arthur Dent who does like you have someone sort there, of, but nobody else seems to take it seriously. <laughs> yeah. And on all of Arthur Dent's like concerns seemed very low, like nobody low. cares. Yeah, nobody cares. And I feel bad for him because like at the beginning he's upset because someone's about to bulldoze his house. But since nobody else cares, I'm not sure if I should. <laughs> yeah, um, it's very difficult. I'm very confused. <laughs> I will say this about Dirk Gently. It's very interesting. It's very funny, too. There are very funny points in it. Um, Some really, like, probably one of my favorite points of dialogue is where uh, Dirk Gently's at dinner with somebody, and um, they're like, all right, you know, what do you do? What are you that you're doing all this? He's like, oh, I'm a uh, 
I'm a private investigator. They're like, you don't look like a private investigator. And he's like, well, that's the first rule that they teach you about being a private investigator <laughs> is that you never are supposed to look like a private investigator. And then they're like, well, if you're never supposed to look like a private investigator, then what is it that you're not trying to look like? Because then nobody would ever look like a private investigator. My mind just exploded. Right? Yeah. And like, <laughs> I was following along until that last bit. <laughs> and that's the whole thing is like, he he does have a wonderful way of writing and, and telling funny jokes and having fun conversations and stuff. I just didn't care for the story. Almost <laughs> almost literally at all. Like I was halfway through listening to this story on Libro and I was like, Can I just buy a different book? <laughs> <laughs> Here's the other thing though. It has been turned into several T V shows. Um, BBC and BBC America. I just yesterday finished the first season of the BBC America one with um, with uh, Frodo. What's his name? Elijah Woods. Elijah Woods, yeah. And uh, Hannah Marks, which I didn't realize who she was at first. And then I looked her up and she was in Community, which is... Or not Community, um, Accepted, which is one of my favorite movies. Oh, I haven't seen that. Um, but she was really good in it. Um, Elijah Wood was really good in it. And the guy that plays Dirk Gently was really good, except for I don't think that he looks, at least from the descriptions that I had read on in the books, like he was supposed to be kind of overweight, I think, and a little bit bigger and a little bit slobbier. And they made him hot. Oh, yeah. They I'm made glad him, they not finally hot, did it hot, to a but man. Like, but like, like, like dorky hot, like lengthy british hot you know yeah, like I mean? if if he takes off the glasses and like gets a different hairstyle uh like like i don't i don't know i, I don't know as a guy how to describe another guy <laughs> being hot um but i yeah so like and then the story was so wild and crazy and i think that's exactly what dirk gently is about is like taking just the most insane themes and running with them and so i actually really enjoyed the tv show hmm. and having read one book that i didn't like watching the show i caught all of these fun little things in the show that i was like oh because i read this book i understand this or i i can appreciate some of this stuff like at one point, they had that exact conversation of, but what does an investigator look like in there? It's like, great, that's a good job. And then at one point, there he's he's locked up in, in a jail cell or something, and his, his friends come busting out. And in this fantasy that he's having this dream, his friends come busting him out. They look all cool. And he's like, oh, you guys look cool. And they're, he, they're like, yeah, we're badasses now. We're, you know, Thor sent us to to bust you out and he's like i knew i could trust thor you can always <laughs> trust thor and it's like nowhere else in the show is that really mentioned but because i've read the books it's like oh okay they're obviously alluding back to what has already happened so it, it was pretty cool I, I really enjoyed the show nice i know did, that was a tangent but that was, that was did you watch the hitchhikers show at all the show yeah no i didn't the, the old one from yeah because he like actually was there and like consulted on it and right. stuff like that i haven't seen it either i saw some like pictures in the I, in the book of it it looked yeah. charmingly 80s -ish. yeah i was about to say i generally stay away from campy sci-fi 80s shows and stuff that's all sci-fi 80s shows yeah, i that's why i stay away from all of them um well we'll get to the movie later because trying to stick with sort of a timeline yeah um 
relationships are we it's it's valentine's day tomorrow we're recording this the night before yeah so after this i'm taking my wife out because we can't go out tomorrow night oh yeah look at you and i'll do something special i with say my cat. that i say that knowing there's already a text on my phone asking me to just pick up food and bring it home <laughs> just make it good food <laughs> yeah i know so his first significant relationship was with a woman named Sally Emerson. So they met at a writer's talk when her first novel was published and he was publicizing um, the restaurant at the end of the universe. So he was a, a few novels deep by this. By the point, way, you're two. totally out of all of my knowledge. So oh, really? you're going to be a solo artist on this one. Well, that's fine. I, I, I know about relationships, weirdly. So <laughs> Sally Emerson had been with the same man for eight years at this point. She had recently married him. And now they were kind of like bored and separated. What? So they weren't together, but they were still married. So she started an affair. What is this? Lovecraft or something? Yeah, right? (laughs) I'm like, I don't understand these British relationships. So she started an affair with Adams after they met at at the conference. And he actually dedicated life, the universe, and everything to her. Um, But the biography I was reading characterizes their relationship as, quote, tortured and romantic. Uh, Douglas was um, both emotionally needy and averse to commitment, Mm. uh, which the the author speculates may have come from his childhood. There it is. It says right there, for Sally. For Sally. That's a very short dedication. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Well, I mean, they were separated by the time he dedicated that. Spoiler alert. Okay. Um, But uh, Douglas was also insecure and self-absorbed. So not always a joy to be around. Mm, who is this Lovecraft or something? Right. <laughs> <laughs> he was difficult. So after less than a year, they broke up, and in 1981, Emerson returned to her husband, and they lived happily ever after. What? So she married the right guy in the first place, and probably shouldn't have had what? an affair. Does he know? <laughs> probably. Do we need to call and let him know? She's still alive. I don't know if her husband is, but oh, somebody man. should let him know. That is really just. <laughs> crazy so douglas was not doing too well after the breakup no way uh yeah he he was uh apparently very mopey and one of his friends mary allen was kind of sick of taking his phone calls and listening to him sob on for hours and hours so she thought he needed some company and suggested he get a roommate so they gave him a couple options he didn't like the other ones she introduced him to her friend jane belson and Jane was broke and living with her parents at the time. So she agreed to meet him and see if she wanted to go live in his apartment with him. This is a very British thing. <laughs> this is so sketchy. Wait, is he living in LA at this time? No, not yet. Okay. He's, he's still in it's London. It's so British though. Like, I would... I've, uh, I would <laughs> not... Okay, you have a friend who is desperately lonely and upset after losing someone that they love. So you want to give them a roommate. First of all, giving them a roommate, really, like it's a hamster. <laughs> like, oh, you lost that old hamster. Let's get you a new one. Well, hopefully the roommate can feed itself. True. But getting them a roommate who is the opposite gender, like, that's just setting them up for either, I mean, ultimate success or ultimate failure again. Right? I don't Plus, know. if I were Jane, I'd be totally skeeved out. I'd be like, excuse me, you want me to move in with this depressed it's man? It's basically <laughs> prostitution. Right? I mean, are we, am I Am I too American? Am I too... That's a little too 
too uh, conservative happens in every country sure no but i mean like the idea of it to me like you are sad so we're gonna get you somebody to <laughs> fix that company here's a new roommate who happens to also be a woman like that's basically prostitution hopefully their intentions were more pure okay they did let them meet first. Uh-huh. It's like an arranged marriage. Or it is. Yeah. I, I'm not liking this at all. So they met at the at the flat, as uh, the British call them, mm. and uh, she take the mobile to the flat. <laughs> they didn't have mobiles back then. This was like oh. the early '80s. Also, you wouldn't take a mobile. That's a phone. <laughs> you would take a cabbie to the lift, and it would take you to the flat. Sure. Isn't a lift an elevator? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You take the cabbie to the to elevator. The elevator. <laughs> you take the cab to the elevator. It takes you to the to the apartment. I apologize. That's how we say our, here our in America. <laughs> fucking taxi cabs to the elevators. Why are you from Boston? Be- I'm not Boston. I'm some New sort of New York, New Jersey thing. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I can't stop now. So, <laughs> Tyler's losing it, guys. Uh. <laughs> so, they meet, and Jane Belson later wrote that her first impression of, of Douglas was that he was shy and awkward, mm-hmm. um, but they began to feel more comfortable <clears throat> around him. She uh, said that he was, like, a, a good gossip and, like, would tell stories, and they realized they knew a lot of the same people mm. and were able to connect sort of that way. Um, and she said they, quote, passed each other's tests. And so she moved in. Okay. They passed each other's tests for living together or falling in love? I think for living together at that point. Mm. They were like, I don't hate you. I mean, we all see where this is going, right? I mean, obviously. Obviously. I wouldn't have it in the relationship section otherwise. (laughs) So Jane was a barrister, which apparently is some sort of lawyer in England. I I, I thought that was a solicitor. No. Well, I mean, maybe that's a different kind of lawyer but Maybe. yeah she she was a lawyer basically and super smart which douglas loved um they became friends lovers mm-hmm. and then soulmates yeah they liked the to, michael scott way right except he likes to get in there become lovers and build a friendship afterwards <laughs> no they became friends all right roommates and friends yeah and then lovers yeah and then soulmates because they're friends pimped this woman out basically i mean great friends yeah okay. it worked out so she didn't soulmates, get murdered though. soulmates soulmates they were in love i'm i'm sure that this is jumping ahead a little bit for you i know where you're going but soulmates though does he really believe in that because come on he I doesn't mean, believe in the soul so i i see what you're alluding to yeah yeah, yeah. Maybe the closest thing to a universe mate. It's when it's convenient, right? Yeah, right? You can believe in it when it's convenient. Sorry, I'm being facetious now. So as a couple, they were like a, a power couple. They liked to host dinner parties. Um, they collected clever people around them uh, and liked to bring them together and introduce them to each other. Um, and I dare say. Right? Just Douglas, all these pretentious British party people. is amazing. <laughs> but um, the biographer, Nick Webb, he was at one such party. Um, and he said they had more than 100 people over for dinner, managed to find an interesting fact about every one of them, print it on a little card, and set it at the guest's setting next to them so that they would have something to talk about. 
That's pretty cool. Which is super cool. That's dope. <laughs> so he like got his little card and it said like Angela something or other is sitting next to you. Sheila or ask her about like uh, George Bernard Shaw. Yeah. And I'm That's just like, what? dope <laughs> though. For real. Like if I, if I was into throwing parties, if I had enough money to throw a party, even like one, just if anybody would come to just one party <laughs> that I throw, <laughs> I would totally do that. That would be so cool. That's a dope move. <laughs> um and then as you mentioned earlier they did move to la at, at yeah, one point they because moved- they started on hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy uh, the tv show the tv the movie. show the tv show well the movie didn't come out for a long time so yeah. it's probably the tv show yeah they moved out there in 1983 um and i didn't get a whole lot about the production of the tv show that they were doing out there he basically just said that they got homesick super fast yeah and then he said they drove all the way to New York, so a cross-country road trip, and then flew back to England. Yeah. Which is kind of a cool trip. That would I don't be know fun. why they felt the need to drive I'm instead sure, of fly like, from L.A. America's great. America why is you great. Drive? If you have the excuse, you should always just do a cross-country across America. I would love to, but I'm also not homesick. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, man. Um. And they also had some of the same, like, dramatic tendencies that he and Sally had. They, even though they were, like, very much in love, they did split up and get back together a lot throughout the 80s. Yeah. Um, and finally, they got married in 1991, but they kind of kept it a secret. So, Pan, the publishing company, threw a party for Douglas to celebrate the publication of Last Chance to See. But Douglas then hijacked the party and announced that after what he characterized as a whirlwind 10-year romance, he and Jane had gotten married that afternoon. Nice. So all of their friends were already are you, there. Are you going to bring up what Last Chance to See is? Were no, you, you can. What is that? Okay. Um, well, we'll save it because I know you're going to get into his beliefs and stuff. And okay. I think I'd rather talk about that during that rather than go on another tangent religious tangent we don't need to tie the and we're guy almost to it because the last big like personal life event um was that in june 1994 polly jane rocket adams was born nice which is the coolest name ever polly james rocket <laughs> apparently rocket had nothing to do with the spaceship uh the biographer said it had to do with jane's pregnant food cravings which i really want to know what the rocket? what the tan or what the the tie-in there is yeah but yeah, I'm I'm really sad it's not for spaceships. <laughs> yeah. Well, I you know, maybe he's like, uh, eh, kind of a double works. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um and apparently Douglas Adams loved Polly totally and unconditionally, and it was the quote least complicated relationship in his life. Yeah. Of all his complicated relationships. Sometimes being a dad is just the best for people. Right? Sometimes. Right. Yeah. So we're moving into his beliefs. Yeah, fun times. And the number one that he came had up, none. He, had, he none. had zero beliefs. He described himself as a radical atheist, mm-hmm. so people would stop asking him if he just meant agnostic. Yeah, he was. He was determined to not not prove that there's no god or anything, but he was definitely one of you know he was friends with Richard Dawkins. Um, he was very much. A, a believer that there is no God and that we are life is what we make of it. And we are the ones that are in charge of our destiny and not so much our destiny, but also the destiny of, of the world of earth of, 
everything that's living on Earth. And that's really more what I wanted to kind of get into because last chance to see is is a is what that is. You know, he started with BBC um, doing a lot of radio work, and he would eventually start doing a lot of um, radio documentaries about his travels, going and finding some of the most rare, exotic, and um, endangered animal species in the world. Mm-hmm. And he's known for being a fierce advocate for rhinos um, and, you know, trying to stop uh um, not butchers. Oh, poaching. Po- poaching of, of rhinos. And, you know, he told a story in one interview where he had talked to people in Africa where they, they're so tired of poachers that they, you know, the whole reason of poaching rhinos is for their horns, mm-hmm. is to take the ivory of the horns. And so this village went through and and took off all of the horns of all the rhinos that they could. So then they're like, great, now the poachers won't kill them, right? The poachers still would would trap them and then find out that they have no horns, and then they'd kill them because they're like, we don't want to release it back into the forest and then catch it all over again and waste Mm. our time. So if we kill all the ones without horns, then we'll make sure that the ones that we find are the only ones with horns. Oh, my God. Right? So it backfired, and it killed even more rhinos. Um, and so like, you know, he was a part of a a process that was really trying to help people understand and see that what humans are doing is destroying earth. And we have the power to do the complete opposite. We have the power to save the, the world around us and these animals that are dying off and they are going to be gone. Um, so like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was, you know, was his greatest story. Um, but I think his legacy really is, I mean, I think what he, not even his atheism is what he would want to be remembered for believing. It's his passion for animals and, and the earth itself and, and all that. And so, you know, a lot of people, especially Christians would really focus on how much he didn't believe in God. And that's not what's important to me. I mean, yeah, it is important to me as a Christian. Cause I'm like, everyone should believe in God, but <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and preach what I what I am going to believe and and appreciate in him is that he had a sort of um, optimism for what humanity could bring to the world. And it's something that I think we as people could really learn from. And he had it not just for animals, but also for technology, too. Did you get into that at all? I had read a little bit about it. I mean, I I. Th- he he was really on the cutting edge of like buying the new tech stuff that came out it drove his wife crazy because yeah. he would buy so many electronics and yeah. he i mean he did that in every aspect of his life when he liked something he went way overboard he went into it. there was a point and at the beginning of his career when he was first starting to make money he had a porsche phase and yeah. bought a bunch of Porsches until finally he like crashed the last one and was like okay i'm done yeah so yeah he bought a ton of electronics and like com- you know the early computers basically and not just bought them but he produced a lot of stuff yeah he got he was, in with like silicon valley at one point yeah he did and he he wrote video games he was a part of a lot of stuff where he was like writing stories he wrote like the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy as a computer game where you get to talk to the the character so not talk talk but like type out your answers and stuff and then so so there's ford prefect and there's 
you know, Arthur Dent. So you as Arthur Dent talk to Ford, right? And then later in the game, you have that same interaction, but from Ford's point of view. And so what you said as Arthur Dent affects you forward and you have to react that way. So he, he saw the way that stories could be told in a whole new way and almost a three dimensional way um, that can't be done in books. Right. Um, And then he wrote um, some, he, he had a big one uh, about like a spaceship um, boat that landed in a kid's um, living room or bedroom and he had to go on this big adventure in this mysterious, mysterious sort of boat thing and it was a whole video game. Oh, that's cool. And he was, he was a big, big, big um, defender of like even Napster. like he loved the idea of pushing technology so that the way that publishing and protection rights and all of that completely changed and it had to change because the way we were going to take our information was just it was just going to change with the internet and this is you know 2000 2002 area where he was watching the internet just explode and he um and he saw what it could be. And and I think it's amazing what he saw 18 years ago is what we are doing now. So I think he really was a visionary, not just like I was saying with the animals and, and taking care of the earth, but he also, he could see a lot of other stuff happening as well. Very much so. Yeah. Um, no, was there anything else we wanted to <laughs> That's, I, that, I mean... How did he die? He is dead. He is dead. Um, So in their later or in his later life, the family moved to Santa Barbara. Mm -hmm. So they were living there since 1999. Um, Not for very long, though, because on May 11th, 2001, he died while resting on a bench after his regular workout at a private Mm -hmm. gym. Uh, His trainer thought he was messing around at first, but then he rolled off the bench uh, and the trainer called an ambulance, but he never woke up. Yeah, he had had a heart attack. It's so sad. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not a huge surprise because like everything else he loved, he loved food. Mm. And he was notorious for trying all the latest restaurants and going out and ordering lavish meals all the time. And right. he got type 2 diabetes and managed to kick it, but then got high blood pressure. So, mm. I mean, he was a big dude his whole life. So, but I mean, he was quite young. He was like 40, 40 something, like 48 yeah he was not old at all yeah so and his daughter's really young so very sad yeah it it is sad especially if you think about all the stuff that that he could be enjoying right now and the differences what we have right now the differences that he could have brought to the world um as a writer as a activist you know as a visionary what would he have changed about 2020 you know like it's it's an interesting thought to to go through my head as i'm reading his work listening to his work seeing the tv shows that have come from his work and all of this stuff it's it's pretty interesting and that's one thing he never got to see the movie yeah of hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy and which he, he had worked on for, for so, so long. long it got stalled in production hell yeah. at one point he even took out money from his pension which i think is like the equivalent of a retirement fund yeah he drew out that money so that he could buy the rights to the film back from the studio because it was just sitting in you know their yeah. basement or wherever they keep ideas that they bought but aren't acting on yet yeah he really really wanted it to be a movie right and it didn't come out until four years after he died yeah and and it's a weird movie but it's good man i mean it's 
it's not it's a weird movie do you think you would have approved though i think so i think there's a lot i don't know if it would have happened if he hadn't have died honestly and i think there's a lot about what they did with it that was for him um like stephen fry being the voice of of the um the book Stephen Fry was one of his best friends and Stephen Fry started doing a documentary series um going out and looking at animals because of Douglas Adams because as before Douglas died he would he showed Stephen all of this footage and all of these things that he did and you know he was like look we gotta change the world and and so you get to watch if you go and watch Stephen Fry's whatever adventure in the wilderness you can watch um someone get to know you can get to know douglas adams through that really it's really interesting to watch it because you're you're seeing kind of this weird pathway to him so so that's that's one way his legacy lived on and in his friends and also in his fans and other other aspects um like right two days before he died Something called the Minor Planet Center announced the naming of an asteroid. Yeah, Arthur Dent. Arthur Dent became a, an asteroid. And then in 2005, another asteroid was named Douglas Adams in his oh, memory, I didn't know about that which one. is such a cool tribute. Yeah, there's still a website H2G2, mm-hmm. which is the. I mean, people decide like he decided like we're going to make the the uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. We're going to make it as human beings. So let's start making it. And it's basically Wikipedia, but different. But, <laughs> but hitchhikers. <laughs> yeah. And then um, another cool trip, like fan base tribute was two weeks after he died. So still in May 2001, his fans organized a tribute known as Towel Day. Yeah. Because in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the most useful thing you can have is, is a, a towel. towel. Yep. So it's been observed every year since. And I think that's just one of the things that he, he would have found delightful. Sure. When is Towel Day? Uh, May 25th. Oh, yeah. We got to celebrate this year. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Get after towels, everybody. I mean, we'll probably be posting on Instagram with towels, but we'll make sure we do it again on, in, right. on May 25th. Um, but yeah, I, I think as a closing thought, Tyler's closing thoughts, um, <laughs> I think that as as we look back and see what really resonates with people, um, hitchhikers, Dirk Gently is starting to gain a lot more popularity, I think. Um, and then his activism and stuff. I think what grabbed people's attention is his voice. And what has continued to stay is his voice, but for so many different reasons. And so I think that that's... If you're interested in, in somebody who has a big voice, this is this is the author for you in so many ways. That was an excellent closing thought. Yeah? Yep. Okay. And now we got to do our other closing thoughts. All, all the, the information. All that outros. So this is where <laughs> you guys all turn off the podcast and don't listen to us anymore because we're just going to say the same stuff we always say. Except are we? I don't know. Are we not? <laughs> Did we change our email address or anything? Oh, yeah, I guess. Um, so uh, next episode. We referenced this earlier at the beginning of the episode. Uh, we're doing it right. We're doing The Witcher. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, I just want to make sure. 
So we're we're gonna be diving into the into the Witcher because well because it's popular at the moment and we want them clicks. Want them clicks? I actually <laughs> I I watched the Netflix series and then I was like Tyler, we should do this. I have not read the books, I have not watched the show, and I have not played the game. I'm mid book now. Yeah, so I'll probably download a book and listen to it. Which, should I read the Blood of Elves or should I read the short stories or what? I would say you should read. Uh, I don't think it's up there. The the last something. The last something. Yeah, because that's the one that's most similar to the show. Megan, the last what's the what what's the last something Witcher that I should read? The last Witcher book. No, oh. Hannah says it's the it's last called the something. Last something. Oh, the last the last, last wish. wish. That's the collection of short stories, right? Yes. Okay. It's like each chapter basically is an episode. Okay. Yeah. We'll have so this then, discussion later. Well, I'm going to, yeah, I guess. Um, so, well, now our listeners can go read it and listen and, and yeah, you should read the last conversate wish. along with us. So, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, that's what we're going to talk about. Plus, I did want to mention, you know, we did talk about our collaboration episode. Um, we thought that it was going to come out when you're listening to this one right now. Um, but uh, the the ladies at uh, Best Friends Playbook, they really want to do some more work on it and do some other stuff. So they asked us to hold off and we're more than happy to and work with them. So if you guys are listening, totally cool. Don't worry about it. If you um, are fans and you're excited, then you know be excited because it's going to be a fun, depressing, terrible time because it's about the handmaid's tale on a not depressing note you did remind me i wanted uh to give a shout out to one of our listeners who actually uh instagram messaged me because on the last episode i mentioned that i was going to new zealand oh yeah i remember um, this Alyssa reached out to me and offered lots of helpful advice for for visiting her home country that's um, so, that's so i wanted so to exciting. say thank you Alyssa. that was super nice it's like one of the coolest things that's happened as a result she's, of this show. she's from new zealand right yeah i think she lives in auckland um and she's i i'm reading off her instagram because that's how she messaged me but she's a yoga teacher a graphic designer um she has like a health and wellness website so if you want to check her out her instagram is super cool it's wonder dot with dot alyssa spelled a-l-i-s-s-a i see her name every single time i post something and she's she's one of the few people that likes it oh yeah she's been following us for a while uh so i I see you, Alyssa. We see you, and thank you so much for the the and advice. I really want to do a New Zealand accent really bad, but I'm like terrified that I would do an Australian accent it's, on accident, yeah. and I know for a fact that that would be offensive, <laughs> so I will not do that to you. So just know that I'm not doing the accent out of love for you, our listeners <laughs> in New Zealand. Might. So, oh, no. <laughs> I apologize. No, no, right. Don't hold it against me, New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> so if you guys uh, want to get in contact with us and tell me how terrible my accents are, you are more than welcome to do that. You can email us at lewisandlovecraft at gmail.com. Um, you can go to our Facebook page, facebook.com backslash is that a backslash or a forward slash? I just say slash because okay. I never do the other. Know. I never yeah. do the other direction. Yeah, slash. me either. But I've heard people say uh, slash. So facebook.com slash Lewis and Lovecraft um, on Twitter. Not Twitter. We don't have Twitter. Twitter, Twitter sucks. Yeah. Um, on Instagram at Lewis and Lovecraft, and you can just go to our website, Lewis and Lovecraft.com. which is a great website. 
Tyler did it. Thank you so much. <laughs> Hopefully we'll get some new pictures up soon. Um, but yeah, you can see our, our pretty little faces um, and you can, I, I'm hoping we'll have some more links to maybe some other stuff that we have going on. Um, stuff like that. So yeah, you can go to our website. Nice. Uh, and as always, the best way to spread the love if you love no, our show. No, that's not. No? Do you not have this? No, I have the different one that just has our all of our links on it. No, you gotta you gotta open the outro document that I created Why for do you this. Have one that says information separately. It's because very confusing. I it, always that's click this for one. us. You were about to tell everyone our passwords and stuff. I was not gonna tell them their passwords. <sighs> Don't read that. It's one one one. No. Tyler has given me the correct script to follow. I'm supposed to say thanks to Jake Basson for our awesome intro music. Okay, don't maybe sound a little more genuine. Everyone knows that I like his music by now. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And assuming you like it too, if you don't, you're dumb. Uh, But assuming you like it, you can find him at soundcloud.com slash Jake Basson, B as in boy, A-S-S-E-N. There it is. All right. And she's handing me my phone back, my script. Maybe go on to your drive and right. open up the right one because you're not done talking, Hannah. <laughs> um, and I'm going to stall while she looks that up by saying that you should subscribe. You if should. you're if you're listening to this, please subscribe. Please subscribe. <laughs> we need subscribers so bad. Um, no, but seriously, we have a lot of our listenership on on iTunes and stuff. So we know you're there. Uh, just click that little subscribe button and uh, help us out. Seriously, you have no idea how much it helps us out. Unless you're a podcaster, then you have an idea. And then you should have no flippant excuse for not subscribing to our show. And while you're there, rate and review us, especially on <laughs> iTunes. <laughs> well done. Well done. Yes, please. Leave a review. It's super rude not to. <laughs> our Apple podcasts are 52% of our listeners. So there you guys are out there just just leave a little review even if it's just like i like this podcast you again you have no idea how much it helps and, unless you're a podcaster then you do. and then you do and then you have no but idea. you're not a podcaster probably and the most important thing the most important the very most tell a friend please just one friend tyler's coming across as very needy and douglas adamsy right now <laughs> <laughs> i just need one roommate to know <laughs> But no, just tell if you them. have a roommate, you have to tell them about this yeah, show. Yeah, actually, that's a mandate. That's the rule now. <laughs> tell your weird live-in opposite gender roommate <laughs> that you're about to get engaged so to. Specific. <laughs> oh man, yeah, awesome. Uh, so that's it for this episode. We'll see you guys in a couple of weeks with um, a more fun, weird, scary stuff. <laughs> it's not scary. And don't forget, Ghoul Gang. I got nothing to follow up. I just want to say the word ghoul gang. Toss a coin to your witcher. (gasps) Oh, are we going to start doing stuff like that? Oh, that's so cool.